0: I don't need the PowerPoint for this part, so I'll go ahead and start while he's getting that stuff set up. Uh, it is homecoming. It may not be homecoming like we're used to. Uh, I don't smell any food coming in here, so it's definitely not homecoming like we are used to or like we want, but it is homecoming. Uh, if, I, if I did the math right, 133 years that Berea Church of Christ has been here. Uh, I think it's interesting that we are located on New Hope Road uh, because the message that we preach is... Hope in Christ Jesus. Uh, So that's interesting. I I imagine that may have been delivered. I'm not sure. Uh, If you don't know where uh, the name Berea Church of Christ comes from, probably most of us in here do. But in Acts 17, as the apostles are going around, they come to a place called Berea. And to find the people there, it says they were more noble than some of the people that were around because they received the word eagerly and they studied the scriptures daily. Uh, There are a lot of churches called Berea because of that group of people that we have in scripture. Uh, that were devout. They wanted to know what the Bible says. Uh, so it's a noble name. Uh, this congregation has a noble history. Like I said, if I did the math right, 133 years we have been here sharing the light of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. We're going to take a step away this morning from the Living Sacrifices sermons because it is homecoming. Uh, and I just wanted to have kind of a special message this morning. It's entitled, Live Like We Believe It. Uh, So I'm going to start with a question. Does the fact that people will spend eternity separated from God bother you? Think about that for just a minute. Does it bother you that a lot of people are going to go to hell? And if you say, well, how do you know a lot of people are going to go to hell? Well, Scripture makes it real clear. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about entering the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. So that's not me being judgmental. That's not me being negative. That's not me being a party pooper. That's Jesus saying that when presented with the gospel message, what scripture really says that a lot of people just don't want to hear it and they're not going to accept it. Sadly, it seems that there will be more people who choose not to follow Christ and will end up in hell for eternity than will choose to follow Him and put their faith and trust in Him. And it's sad. So the question, once again, does that bother us? Does that upset us? I think it upsets God. John 3:16 says he sent his son into the world to save the entire world. And in other lessons and in other sermons and some conversations, we've looked at how in Second Peter, like we just went through second Peter, one of the questions that people asked was, why is it taking so God God so long to come back? And in second Peter, Chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, he says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. And this is the verse I want to focus on. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So once again, I ask the question, does it bother us that so many people are going to hell? You'll hear me confess a lot of things as your minister. And I confess that for a long time, I didn't even consider the question. Didn't really think about it because I've been in church my whole life. It was just part of who I was, part of what I did. It was part of my social life. I just went to church. And I honestly did not give much thought or consideration to those outside of the church. And I'm ashamed of it now. But as we answer that question... Does it bother us that people will end up in hell for all eternity? I think there are three things we can look at this morning. Three reasons why or why it may not bother us. If it doesn't bother us, the first question we ask is, do we not believe the message? Is there a reason we don't share the gospel? Is there a reason we are not concerned about people's eternal security? And I think the first question we have to ask is, do we really believe the gospel? The gospel in English means good news. That's what the word means. It's the good news that Jesus came and died for every single person, and no one has to go to hell. In fact, God doesn't want anyone. One of the biggest misconceptions people outside of the church or outside the Christian faith have is, That God is mean and He sends people to hell, and it's just not true. It's a lie. That's not what Scripture says. In Revelation, John says, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, it was not prepared for us. So God does not send anyone to hell. But because He has given us free will, He will allow us to choose to go. Do we really believe in hell? Do we really believe in heaven? that Jesus is going to return and those who are washed in his blood will reign through all eternity with him and those who aren't will go to a place of unspeakable torment. Do we really believe that? If we do, why don't we tell people? If we really believe that those outside of Christ are going to spend eternity totally separated from God in anguish, Why don't we tell people? Is it that we don't care? Perhaps some of us don't believe that there's a heaven and don't believe that there's a hell. I don't know why you would be here if you believe those things, but I know people who call themselves Christians that deny both of those things. Even in Jesus' day, there was a sect of Judaism called the Sadducees who actually run the temple and they didn't believe in any of that stuff. So if we're not telling people and it doesn't bother us The first response may be that we just don't believe in heaven and hell, so therefore it's not that important. But the second one is the one that really scares me, is that we just don't care. We don't care that there are people lost and going to hell. Perhaps they don't look like us, they don't think like us. We have nothing in common with them. And so they're just completely out of our minds. We don't consider them. We don't love them. And as we've been seeing, as we've been going through Peter, what does Peter tell us? That if we don't love one another, then the love of God can't be in us. Like I said, sometimes you'll hear me say I confess things. I have to be real careful because I don't want you to get the wrong idea because I do care now. But that's probably where I sat most of my life is I just didn't care. As long as I was going to heaven, I was happy. As long as my friends and my family, the people I were closely related to and the people that I cared about in real life, as long as they were in, I didn't really worry about everybody else. That wasn't my job. That wasn't my responsibility. Let the missionaries and the preachers and all those other people go do that. I'm okay, and that's all I need. And I didn't care. I had friends, people I went to school with every day, people that I worked with that were going to go to hell And not once did I share the gospel. I may not have said out loud that I did not care, but my actions and the way I live my life and the fact that I never shared the gospel with them betrayed me. If I really cared, I would have told them. And then the third one, and this may be where a lot of us actually fall in, is it's not that we don't believe, we do believe. And it's not that we don't care, but a lot of us just don't know what to do, do we? We don't know what to say. We don't know how to go about it. We don't know how we're supposed to feel. And I admit as we look in our world today, there are a lot of people that look like they're our enemies. People that obviously do not agree with us on a lot of different things. People that live a way that we do not approve of. And we wonder, how do I relate to people living that way? Or how do I relate to people who think that way? And we just don't know what to do. We don't know how we're supposed to feel. I confess, after September 11th, I I struggle with how should I think about Muslims. Because of what happened on that morning, I felt like that they were our enemies and we should destroy them all and they should die. And quite honestly, probably some of us wished that we could send them straight to hell. But is that really a Christian attitude? I didn't know how to deal with those conflicting feelings. As I look around in the world today and I see people that are obviously lost, that obviously don't understand the truth of Scripture, I don't know, even as a minister, I don't know how to deal with some of those people. So I look at the way Jesus taught, and that brings us to Luke 15. On Father's Day, I preached the last half of this chapter, the parable of the prodigal father. And the two lost sons. And I made reference to these two parables here at the beginning of Luke 15. But I want us to read them this morning. Beginning in Luke 15, verse 1. Jesus says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approached to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, saying that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you see gathered right there is the entire spectrum of civilization at that time. You have Jesus and those who are trying to follow him and trying to obey, trying to live the kingdom out. You have the tax collectors and the sinners, all those who are lost, who need to know the truth. And they're there because they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And you even have the religious people, those who didn't believe or those who didn't care about the lost. And they're all gathered there listening to what Jesus has to say. So he told them a parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. And he continues, Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully... Until she finds it. When she finds it. She calls her friends and neighbors together saying. Rejoice with me. Because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels. Over one sinner. Who repents. I think Jesus makes it very clear. That he is concerned about the lost. I think he makes it very clear. That in heaven. There is concern about the lost. And when one soul repents and comes to know Christ it says they rejoice in heaven the angels rejoice how many is too many Jesus said that the path to destruction is wide and many go down it when we consider that consider the people you know in your life whether they're family friends, acquaintances people you work with do you know any of them that need to know the gospel, that need to know Jesus, that if he was to come today or they were to die the day that they would be separated from God for all eternity? Do you know at least one? I do. How many is too many? Well, according to these parables, one is too many. The shepherd left 99 to go find the one. If you just do the economics in there, economically, he'd been better off just to count it as a loss. I still got 99. That's a pretty good percentage. I just chalk it up as a loss. I'll write it off. Or the lady who lost 10 coins, that may be a little bit different because now you're talking actual money. But she still got nine. She can chalk it off as a loss. All right, I lost one. I've still got nine. I'm still okay. But what Jesus says is that when God looks at humanity, those that he has created in his image, and that's every single one of us. And maybe that's where we struggle sometimes, not knowing what to do. Because when we look at so many people in the world, and I have to be really careful not to say us and them, although technically it is us and them, us who have been saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus and those who haven't. You've heard me say this before. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those that have been saved through Christ and those who haven't. And that covers every single one of us, every single one of us sitting in here, every single one outside that door. And there are only two choices. And perhaps we sit back and go, well, my loved ones are okay and my friends are okay. There's nothing I can do about all those people out there. Somebody else will just have to do that. And perhaps we're willing to take the loss or to write it off. as like, well, you can't save everybody. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says he left the 99 to go find the one. She tore her house apart looking for one coin even though the other nine were perfectly safe and she knew where they were. How many people going to hell is acceptable in God's eyes? None. Peter says he doesn't want anyone. That's why he's still waiting. Perhaps we get frustrated sometimes and we scratch our heads. And I know that there are days I wake up, I'm like, Lord Jesus, come right now. Just end it. Just come on back. I'm okay. But then I stop and think. Although that's good for me. I think about Paul. Paul wrote to churches saying, It would be better if I was to die today because to be absent from this body is to be in presence of the Lord, but I still have work to do. So Lord, hold on just a little bit longer because there are people we need to save. And although me personally, I would be perfectly fine right now if that trumpet would sound right now or if I were to fall out here right now, I'm okay with it. But I know that there are so many people, people that I know, And people that I love or I claim to love, and they don't know Jesus. And I see Jesus say, How many is okay? None. It should motivate me to live my life in a certain way so that people see Jesus. So, if none of those other questions apply to us, we really do believe that there's a heaven and that there's a hell, and we really do care. We're not just indifferent. And we're left in that last category. Well, what do we do about it? There's five things I think that we can do about it this morning. If we really believe, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I want you to ask yourself right now, do I believe there's really a heaven and there's really a hell? Do I really believe that? And do I really believe that the only way to avoid hell and to be in heaven is to follow Jesus Christ? To be baptized into his name. Jesus himself said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. Do we really believe that? Are we really concerned about our friends, our co-workers, and our family members who are going to hell? Well, here are five things I think we can do, and they're practical. First of all, we need to live out our faith authentically. We need to live what we say we believe. The entire book of James talks about that. It's not enough just to say you believe. James says, even the demons believe Jesus is the Son of God. What good does it do them? If we say we believe, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus says. And he summed the commandments up really simply. He said, love God more than you love anything else. Put God first in everything that you do and then love one another. Love your friends, love your family, love your neighbors, love your enemies. Love them. And sometimes that just means meeting people where they are. Meeting their physical needs. Not beating them over the head with the Bible. Just showing them that you love them. That you accept them as a person. Whether you agree with them. Whether you like what they're doing doesn't mean you have to agree and acknowledge that the things that they're doing are okay. We've heard it said before, love the sinner, hate the sin, but we really need to live it. We need to be careful how we judge people, understanding that that's the way God will judge us. We need to learn to forgive because Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you. So our faith needs to be lived out authentically. If we say we believe a certain thing, then by all means, we need to do it, and we need to say it. Number two, this may sound overly simple, but we need to pray. Pray, pray, pray. How many people who went astray in their teens or early adulthood come back to faith because they had a mama on her knees praying for them? I'm probably standing here preaching this morning because my mama prayed for me a whole lot. In my teens and early 20s. Sometimes we don't have the words to say to people. Sometimes we can't reach them. Intellectually or emotionally. But you know what we can do? We can get down on our knees and pray. Pray that God puts someone in their life. That can develop that relationship and can reach them. Pray that they hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicts them. The truth is is we can't change anyone anyway. So we need to be praying. I ask you, do you know at least one person who doesn't know Jesus? Do you really believe that they will go to hell if they don't come to know Jesus? Well, I ask a question and I'll ask myself as well are we praying for that person? Praying that they hear the truth and praying that the Spirit convicts them? If not, we need to. Number three, we need to stay in the Word. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle, and our enemy's strong. He's not as strong as God, but he's strong. And Scripture says that it is our weapon. This is how we fight the battle, is with the Word of God and His Holy Spirit living in us. I wasn't in the military, but I've had a lot of friends in the military. I've watched a lot of movies. And one of the things they teach you, as I understand, I'm not speaking from experience, but when you go to boot camp, you learn your weapon, don't you? They teach you everything there is to know about your weapon how to take it apart, how to clean it, how to put it back together, how to use it. This is our weapon. We need to know it front and back, backwards and forwards. We need to be in this book as much as we possibly can. We shouldn't be able to get enough of God's Word. And what happens when we do that along with His Spirit helping us understand and helping illuminate passages in the Scripture in those times that we don't know what to say or we don't know how to react, and I've seen it happen. A Scripture verse will come to mind that I didn't even think about because I had read it and I had studied it and I had meditated on it. So we we need to be living real faith. We need to be praying. You cannot pray enough. I promise you. You can't. We need to be in this word. You cannot read your Bible enough. I promise you. Number four, and this may seem self-serving as the preacher saying it, but you need to be plugged into church, a local congregation. What good, and I know that there are movies and there are stories where a single soldier goes out and does amazing things on the battlefield, but what army wants to send just one person out to fight an entire Army. Now, I know we just talked about David and Goliath. But if you have a battle and you see the army gathered, you just send one person out there to fight. Even if it's your best soldier, do you send one person out to fight? What do you do? You gather the troops. And you send them to go battle. And when we come and gather here together, we are gathering the troops. We are encouraging one another, hopefully. We are building one another up. We are praying for one another. We're carrying one another's burdens. We're meeting one another's needs. And what that does is it strengthens the body of Christ. And as Paul said to the church in Corinth, it takes every single one of us. It's like a body. And if one part of the body is not working or not functioning, the whole body suffers. So if we are serious about keeping people from going to hell, then we need to be here studying the Word, praying together, fellowshipping with one another, worshiping with one another. We need our army and our troops at full strength and ready to battle. So to recap, we need to live out our faith authentically. Live what we say we believe. We need to pray, pray, pray. We need to stay in the Word. God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We hide it in our hearts so that we don't sin against God. We need to stay plugged into the local church, understanding that we're fighting a war together. And then lastly, personally, you and me in our daily lives, we need to share the gospel. We need to be telling people about Jesus. There are so many people in my past that I regret that I did not share the gospel with them. I regret it because I was a Christian. Marcela was. Went to church at least three times a week. But yet when I was at school or I was at work, the gospel of Jesus Christ wasn't even anywhere on my mind. The fact that those people were lost and going to hell wasn't anywhere on my mind, and I regret. It's one of the few true regrets I have in my life is that I came across so many people in my life who knew I went to church, who knew I was a Christian, and I never shared the gospel with them. And unfortunately, some of them are no longer with us. And it keeps me up at night sometimes wondering, did anyone ever share the gospel with them? Did you go, but Lee, I didn't go to Bible college, or I don't know the Bible like some people. Sharing the gospel is real simple. And John three sixteen says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's where we start. We tell people, you know what? God loves you. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever you feel about yourself, God loves you. The next thing is real simple. And this is where we get hung up sometimes because we don't like to be judgmental. But Paul in Romans 3.23 says what? All have sinned. All have sinned. All have sinned. That includes me. That includes you. We're not being judgmental. We're all in the same boat. So when we approach people, we don't need to be judgmental looking at them down off our high horses. All of us, me included, none of us are perfect. We've all messed up, and God knows it. And in Romans 6, 23, Paul goes on to say, and the wages of sin, because we have sinned, we all deserve hell. Every single one of us, me included. That's the wages. That's what we earn for living outside of God's will. But... The free gift of God is eternal life. And then in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter says this. He himself, Jesus. How do you get that free gift of life? It says, he himself, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, We might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And Peter's quoting Isaiah the prophet there. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There are all kinds of evangelism tools you can find. There are little New Testaments you can buy that have the Romans road that takes you through all these things. But it's real simple. God sent his son to save all of us. That's how much he loved us. All of us have sinned. All of us deserve death, but because of what Jesus did going to the cross, we now have the gift of eternal life. And to close, well, what does that mean? Well, in Acts 2.38, when Peter was preaching and people said, what do we need to do to be saved? Peter said what? Repent, change the way you think, and be baptized, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said that's for you and your children and all those who are far off and everyone who hears the message. Every single one of us can share that with somebody. And here's the thing that probably prohibits us from doing it. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to share the gospel and somebody look at us and walk off. Don't take it personally. That used to be my problem a lot. I took it personally. They're not rejecting me. Jesus already said that most people are going to reject them. If you share the gospel with somebody and they just blow you off and walk away, go back to that praying thing and just pray, pray, pray. I want to close with a quote by Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers that ever lived. And this is what he said about sharing the gospel. He says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. This morning our challenge is for us to live like we believe it. Let's pray.